What's going on, guys? Welcome to the show. This is the Real Estate Q&A. Today, it is me and Sad. We are going to be answering all your questions. So, what's going on, Sad? Oh, nothing much. Just uh, first week of September and uh, people are back to school now. And it's like the transition week from after summer into the yeah. fall. Yeah, absolutely. Like things you... are like busy right now. <laughs> no, I agree with you. It's like it's almost like it's starting to pick up. Yeah, but slowly. Slowly, yeah. It will get. It will get there. Yeah, exactly. Everyone is busy this week. Back to school and shopping, last minute shopping and stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And yeah. I, exactly. So this is this is exciting, man. So we got our first question. And I got this one. Actually, I had this question prepared from yesterday because somebody messaged this question. Okay. And it's actually in relation to a realtor, another realtor. But this could apply to home buyers as well. And we'll, you'll understand the transition. So the question is, I have a buyer lead through family and they are looking to buy an XYZ area. Should I refer them to a local agent since I'm not familiar with that area? My answer is 100% yes. You know, don't want to go somewhere that you don't know to service people in an area you don't know because you don't know what to expect. And a lot of times people think you can find things through Google, but the reality is not everything is on Google as much as we think it is. And if you're not, if you're missing out stuff that could be pertinent to the buyer, such as if it's in a flood zone, if there's termites, like look at Toronto in the beaches. Yeah. There's termites there, right? So yeah. now a lot of local agents don't know that. How would someone from out of town figure that out without asking a local agent? So yeah, absolutely should refer it. Do not do it on your own if you have the option. Get a referral fee, refer it out. Now where that goes in for the buyer, it means make sure as a buyer you lose use, not lose, you use a local agent as well because you don't want to get into the trap that you're going to support your buddy, but they're not aware of the dangers or anything about the area. And you end up moving into the wrong area because you did not want to use a local agent. What do you think? I actually agree with you hundred percent. And just to add to that, sometimes at the, at the certain area, there's like subdivisions coming up, uh, new construction, um, changes happening to the area that someone from out of the area wouldn't know. Um, for example, there is an area in, in uh, Cambridge, east of Cambridge, um, used, uh, there was a golf course. And apparently now the golf course is, is turning into a subdivision. And this is something unusual. So all the houses that are their backyards facing the golf course, thinking that that's going to be like this forever. But now they have to like uh, they have to face this new new changes that no, there's going to be a subdivision instead of this. Golf. And this is like something really uh has a huge impact on on their on their the value of their home so definitely if 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 it's a different area refer someone who's local and this by doing this you're actually serving them better absolutely i want to uh do a shout out to harj who's another agent at signature thanks for watching thanks for tuning in so yeah so i agree with you 100 so that's that's the one thing that we should uh look out for now we got a second question here how does the mortgage insurance work when a buyer's down payment is under 20%? Do you want to tackle this one? So this means that their mortgage has to be insured and, and they have to pay uh, a fee 
to, for, for the CHMC and it will be added to the mortgage. And uh, usually the ones with the insurance, uh, insured mortgages have a lower interest rate. I mean, from the banks, they get lower interest rates when, when it's an insured mortgage. Um, so, so it's basically whoever is doing the mortgage will, will, will have to send the file over to CHMC to approve it. Yes, that's true, yeah. right? Because, yeah, there's limits. I believe you can do 5% up to 500,000, mm -hmm. uh, 10% from 500,000 to a million. And if it's a million plus, you need 20%. There's no way around it, yeah. at least right now. Yeah. I mean, governments have been proposing changing that. We'll see what happens at election, but I'm not going to bank on any of that. So, but yeah, that's exactly it. And unfortunately, yeah, the, the, the cost can range based on the cost of the house and the, the not the cost of the house, the cost of the mortgage and the size of the mortgage and stuff. But uh, yeah, it does add, like, for example, we'll take the 500,000. We'll take that 500,000 and we'll uh, use 5%. Yeah. That 5% is roughly around 17,000 ish. Yeah. The mortgage insurance usually is around 13, 14,000. Yeah. So ultimately, what means that really it's like you put down 4,000 towards the house and the rest yeah. of it was, you know, was basically yeah. to cover the insurance. To cover the insurance. Yeah. So um, if you can get more, it's probably better. But again, it goes back to what we always say get in the market. It doesn't matter how, just get in. Okay, number three, in a bidding war scenario, how do we know what number to go in at and how can we be sure that we are not overpaying? That is a very interesting one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's an interesting question for sure. I think this question is on every, every buyer's mind when they're about to go to a bidding uh, offer presentation. Yes, that's it. That's exactly it. Right? Like it's, <laughs> but um, like what a crystal ball there. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing. That's that's why it's important to know who you're working with, and they're experienced enough to know the market, so they can help you prepare. Nothing is foolproof. Nothing is a hundred percent, and it never will be. But there are strategies you can use that will help out with that. So it's like they're, they're going to give you like a range. Be like this, the, the, the market value of this property in the range of this to this. So with the bidding, it usually goes like a few percent above, sometimes 10 percent. But this range is, is going to indication, kind of indication for you to, to decide on. Absolutely. And you also yeah. got to compare how many bids are on the table already. Of course. Yes. So like I often have in those situations, I have two offers. I have one offer set up Yeah. so that if it is low offers like i mean low amount of offers like you only have one or two people L less than four let's say yeah well less than four i have mm -hmm. one offer i'm coming in with yeah if it's more than four then i usually tell the client to go in at their best offer yeah and whatever if they get it they get it they don't they don't don't get too emotional about it yeah right i mean because there's only so much you can do and you don't want to you know be heartbroken because it, it happens now another tactic i use and i haven't used it often but i have used it what I call is an escalation clause. So what I do is I get the client mm -hmm. and I find out what their max is. We're going to pretend a house, as an example, the house is listed at seven ninety nine. dollars Okay. Now, the, the homes in the last three months were selling for a million and fifty. Yeah. We all know that they're expecting to get more than that million and fifty. Yeah. Right? That's why they're doing this. So what I usually say, what is your maximum budget? Just say they've been maximum approved for a million and one hundred and fifty, mm -hmm. but they don't want to spend more than 1.1. So what I usually do is I go in, 
I would suggest going in at 950, right? Because you know they're not going to take the lower offers. They're just going to take it off the market and put it back in. Yeah. Right. But 950 is really a fair offer considering it's sold for a million and fifty between 950 and a million fifty, as yeah. we just discussed. Yeah. So we know that's a good starting point. So I suggest they go in at 950 with an escalation clause to a maximum of a 1.1 million. And I usually take the last offer. I say, whatever, we'll pay five thousand dollars more than the highest offer. Nice. So and then, and then so, you know, somebody bids one million and fifty. We're going to be one million fifty five by default. Yeah. But it cuts off. It's almost like a stock market, right? Where you have a cutoff point. Yeah. yeah. So it cuts off at 1.1. Somebody beats that, they can have it. Yeah. Right? So that's kind of the way I do it sometimes. That's that's a, that's a smart idea, actually. So, yeah, that's a way around. In terms of, um, I want to get rid of the myth of this overpaying. What ends up happening is it's not that that you're overpaying because whatever the price goes is going to be the new price for the market at that time. At that time, yeah, for that street. Right? Because it's not like if you paid the 1.1 million, that's the street market now because the guy, uh, the neighbor is going to find out you got 1.1. They're going to say, okay, I'll take 900,000. I don't know how we got 200,000 more, but I'll take less. Nobody's going to do that. Nobody, no. Right. Just as we said, the million fifty was the top three months ago. So everyone's trying to beat that. Yeah. So now everyone's going to try to beat the 1.1 if they can. Yeah. Right. So that's just the new market price. So at the end of the day, we have seen history show that real estate climbs each year. Right, and on average, in forty years, it's been what six and a half percent. I wouldn't say seven percent. Right. Yeah. So, the very worst case scenario is you got to keep it for an extra couple of years to make the money. Yeah, that's the worst case scenario. So, you want to get in. It's a long term uh, investment. At the end, it's not something you're planning on selling the next month. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's a buy and hold. I yeah. mean, like the, like flipping, it's possible to make money in flipping, but it's but it's near impossible in today's market. Yeah. Not not in today's market. It's not very, um, but I just want to also get back to the point of asking price and market value. People they they see okay the asking price is eight hundred and then they hear that it's sold for one million. That market value is not asking price. Asking price is just a bidding. I mean, it's a strategy. It's a selling strategy. It's a marketing strategy. But so people be like, oh, they got two hundred over asking, but technically it's not true because the value of the market is one million. So if they got like a, a million ten, million fifty. That's the over asking part. Yeah, you know what? I can't stand that. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I keep, we keep seeing advertising now sold over asking. Of course, you saw you listed it for two, three hundred thousand under the, uh, um, value. Yeah, the value. I mean, you know, like so. What happens if you got nine hundred thousand? What are you gonna say? Lost a hundred thousand? Right? Nobody's gonna do that, <laughs> right? So like, I, I like I'm I personally can't stand seeing that. Yeah. I, I mean, it's just like man, like for me, it's a weak stance. Right, I mean, don't advertise which, how much you sold over. That's 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 just like everybody does that now. So it's kind of sickening. It's like, yeah, oh, I sold over asking. Okay, well, show me who didn't. Yeah, exactly. Like, stupid. There's nothing new there. Yeah, and it's not impressive either. So, all right. Haha. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna give this one to you. What? <laughs> what are some tips or questions you suggest when we are interviewing a real estate agent for our home sale? That's a very important question. Um, first of all, they should ask, how long have you been in the real estate business? Um, there's nothing wrong with being new, but it's just you you want to know what kind of experience that they, they, they have to offer, well, like how, how many years, what they have done. And then you should also ask them, have you sold homes in this neighborhood lately? Um, 
you you want to know if they're up with the with the with that pocket they're like keeping up with it they know what's going on they have the buyers for that so having someone who who sold in the neighborhood usually helps right um also another point you should ask that if if they're a team or if it's uh one realtor uh that you're dealing with because for example if it's a team you should ask them i'm going to be dealing with you or one of your team members because dealing with you is one thing and and then dealing with the team member and never seeing you to like after closing is something else so you want to know if, if that team that you're dealing with are you dealing with a team leader or a team member right that's true absolutely um another also that uh, you should also consider asking are they a full-time real estate agent or a part-time because out of the 60,000 um 60,000 realtor we have here in the city um i, I believe over 20,000 of them haven't sold any uh, any transaction or done any transaction in the past year so they they just have it for their own personal um bu- business but let's be honest that this is a hard business it is a hard business that's why you need to be full time yeah you know what i mean like it, it's it's a very very hard business and let's be honest 85% of the people don't even sell one home in a year yeah. let's look at the numbers i think ontario wide or if you include all the boards I think the number of realtors uh, checked out at like 92,700. Yeah. Right. When you include all the boards. And this year alone, up till now, we've only had 80,000 transactions. That's less than one transaction per person. person, Yeah. Because you also got to consider that some of them, they have the license because they're appraisals, some of them because they're mortgage brokers. So some of them, they use the license just for a certain. like a business that they, they need to, but they're not actually trading. Like they're not actually buying and selling. Um, so, so I think being full-time or part-time, you should know that before you list your home with that person. Um, and also I, I think this is an obvious one, the price, how much they're gonna, they're, how much they're gonna like charge you for listing their home. There, there's no a flat fee by the boards that we should stick to. It's, it's different it's, it's it's different from one realtor to another um some of them they just want to list it for you they just put a sign no staging nothing they and some of them they they do the full service where they stage it they do a marketing strategy they do a campaign or ads they do so you, you got to know what you what kind of uh, service you're getting to and uh obviously staged homes they they sell for on average six percent higher than for the same property that is not staged so like staging homes does help with the price and then at the end of the day um when you're get, comparing prices between different realtors you want to see which one will get to your pocket more money or the most money it's not how much they charge how much you're going to get in your pocket after all the expenses right yeah th- that's the thing is the net value right like yeah. sometimes people can you know focus on uh, what they're paying for commission yeah. and i think the the it's when you're selling your home it should be beyond commission all these factors should be considered right now for example if someone's paying five percent commission on a million dollar home that's listed Mm -hmm. and that i mean that works out to be about 50k right yeah so that means the net there will be about 950 yeah so that being said that's 950 but now somebody comes in and says, I'll do it for 3%, two and a half for 2% for the uh, cooperating brokerage, 1% for you. 
that sounds attractive because it's only 30 grand, right? Yeah. What if that person only gets you 900,000? Are you really ahead? No. Right? Because sometimes track records show everything. It's like if you if it's 5% of a million or 3% of a million, that makes a difference. But reality is more than likely, if that person can't negotiate for themselves, how are they going to negotiate for you? For you. Yeah. More than likely, you're not getting as much. That's what it comes down to. But I mean, hey, that's just you got to know who you're dealing with. I always suggest interviewing two to three people. Yeah, minimum. Right. And, and I think we use the same thing for everything. For for like, if you want to hire a contractor, you interview a few people. If you want to hire, a, like, that's usually the way you should be considering it. Absolutely, always always three people. Right yeah. now, this is the way I look at it. Interview the two people you're not sure of first. Don't sign any agreements till you've interviewed all three people. So I would interview the first two people you're not sure about because you're just trying to get comparison. Do them first. Get it out of the way so you know what you're comparing to. Then the person you're leaning towards, interview them last. Because at that point in time, if you interview them last and they're unimpressive, your gut's already told you not to. It's better than interviewing the person you want to first than when you say, I'm going to call you back. Then it becomes the uh, little almost tense. Right, because you know the person, yeah. and you want to use That's them. Definitely, see, it will help. So, yeah, I wouldn't sign anything to the last person, and the one that you're leaning towards because you know them would be the last one. Because then, if you're happy with what they showed you and you trust them, you could just sign right there and not worry about the other two. Yeah, yeah. And also, another uh, thing that they could help in choosing the realtor: um, ask them if they can share with you uh, some reference mm-hmm. past clients that they work with. They usually like have shared experience like having having talking to the realtor is one thing and talking to the people that they dealt with over the past year um as a as a like how, what was the experience like what's the reviews on google kind of thing so ask for that too yeah that's an opportunity as well again even presentation is going to make the difference yeah. let's be honest right someone shows up and says i'm here to uh, sell your house and they show up empty-handed they got nothing to present more than likely, like you're just going by words. Well, you could have done that on the phone. Yeah. Right. So when you're doing a presentation, someone who's professional is going to show up. They're going to show up with comparisons. They're going to show up with uh, examples of their past work. They're going to show up with a list of what they're going to do for you. Yeah. Right. So you're going to know exactly what they're going to do. You're not going to just turn around and say, here's the key for your lockbox. Put the sign in the lot. See you in Florida. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right, you see what they're going to do. You know where they're marketing. You know what their plan is, and then you have a contingency. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that that and that's important. I, I mean, putting putting the, the property on MLS and putting a sign, anyone can do it. A monkey can do that. There's there's no there's it's not a, like any difficult thing to do. It's it's the what matters is what's the strategy that they're going to use. What's their expectations to get how much they're going to getting that kind of stuff so it's not about putting the property on mls it's about how you're going to sell it well also let's 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 be honest when uh, we're dealing with such a large transaction there's going to be some difficult moments of course right and you want to get somebody who's not going to run and hide and duck when there's a difficult moment no because honestly speaking a lot of people you know they hide they don't know what to do and now they're not hiding because they don't want to talk. Well, nobody wants to deal with the difficult things. Anybody who says, I love dealing with difficult things, they're lying. Nobody does. But there's a difference between I'm willing to deal with it mm-hmm. or I got to think about it because I don't know what to say. Yeah. 
right? So you want someone who's going to take charge, be there because that's what you're paying for. And then they're going to come up with a solution or a strategy. And if they don't know what to do right that second, they're going to say, hey, I'm going to lull this over. I got to figure out what the best opportunity is. I'll get back to you in an hour. And then in 60 minutes, you're on the phone. Yeah. Right? Now, you know, the customer shouldn't chase you. These guys are panicking. They're, their biggest investment's on the line. And you got people ducking. Right? So it's you got to have someone you know that when shit hits the fan, they're going to be up front they're with gonna you. They're going to be there. Yeah. And, that, and that's, that, that's the key thing. That's what you're really looking for. Yeah. That's the, like, I would say that's number one. I mean, like, offer night or presentation time is also not an easy uh, thing to deal with because you're dealing usually you get like 10 15 offers and you gotta um, compare each one and you gotta explain the, the difference between this and that for the for the seller so you you want to make sure that person is who's handling those offers and and handling them in a professional way not just handling them is is, is capable of doing so and to guarantee you to guarantee you to get you the the, the highest or the best offer possible with closing date, uh, like how, how long to, to close and the pro and the, the, the deposit and the price this is like different factors. But I mean, handling 12, 15 offers is not an easy thing at the same time. And it's time consuming. It is time consuming. But like I've, I've, I've had a night where we started at literally at 6 p.m. and we finished at 11. Wow. Yeah. We had 12 offers. Yeah. And, that, and that's pretty yeah. common, right? Like it's not like this is... Uh... And, and we were actually like discussing those those hours. We're not like taking breaks and having coffees. No, we were actually discussing, calling back and forth, um, trying to get the better closing date and stuff. Yes, that's true. That's very very true. That's a lot of uh, a lot of ideas that we just discussed. But uh, I, I I think they all like they're all important to consider when you're trying to hire a realtor to sell your property. You're right. You're right. Absolutely. So we got one more question from uh, from Facebook, and this one's going to be very interesting. Have you ever done commercial lease, retail store? And if yes, how does it differ from a residential lease in terms of what documents are required and what clauses should I make sure to include in the offer if I'm representing the tenants? Okay, I've, I've never done commercial. I stay away from commercial. I've done commercial, but for myself, not for somebody else. Um, this one's interesting for sure. I've I've done I've done commercial. Um, I like as a tenant. If we're representing the tenant, um, it's usually the financials that you can present to the landlord. Like, as a, if, is it a new business? Is it like if it, if it's a, just another location that they're opening? The, the landlord will will like well this is important information for them and also if it's a use because a lot of landlords they don't want certain uses and if the use is is what they're willing to consider then you can just they can like it's a kind of a, a green light for you to go ahead and, and work on the on, on the deal but if it's the use is not acceptable from the landlord so you shouldn't waste your time um so in terms of what what's the difference is the financials you need to provide financials you need to uh, you need to show if this is a new business the cor the corporation uh article of corporation stuff like that this all like helps um but i'm i'm like you're not into commercial a lot but i've, I've done some commercial yeah and that's the other thing right like you said a key point there it's uh, how are you going to use it yeah. when it comes to commercial you can't just uh shift gears halfway through 
the landlord kind of needs to know what's in the shop at all times. Yeah. Right. I mean, and, and it could be for, uh, it could be for uh, exposure issues. You know what I mean? Or like what, what could potential issues for them and then in the future, they want to be prepared for it. Um, again, you can't just sublease a commercial space. Yeah. Uh, landlord needs to know, not that you can sublease a, a residential either, but I mean, that's going to be one of the clauses that's going to be in there. They're going to say <clears throat> landlord has to approve a sublease. And yeah, so again, sometimes there could be restrictions. Like if you're in a mall in a retail store mall, there could be restrictions on hours of operations. Yeah. And the restrictions may not even be that you can't open past nine. They may have a restriction where you say the store has to be open at 9 a.m. Monday to Friday because the mall is open. You won't have an option. If you can't be open during their mall hours, they won't give you the lease. Another thing to consider is renewal terms. That's going to be a key thing, right? Because it's not like residential where um, one year goes by and then it's month to month. Commercial isn't that way at all. In fact, most commercial, they won't accept a one-year lease. Three to five at a minimum, right? And and on top of that, your rate doesn't stay the same. And your rate is not based on a 2% increase or 3% that the government gives. They can double your rate the next year if they want to. But usually, you get the terms up front. So if your, your retail space, just say, is um, $1,000 a month this year, but they want an increase. and Because a lot of times, landlords... We'll give you an introduction, introductory rate for the first two to three years, right? So it might be a thousand bucks a month for the first three years, but then if you're staying past the three years, you're renewing at thirteen hundred dollars a month, as an example. Yeah, right. So that's a possibility too, and they were, and this is worked out in advance, not once you're in there, because once you're in there, they double your rent. What are you going to do? Close shop, right? Yeah. So it all depends on how long you plan to stay there. Sometimes in uh, commercial, there's even twenty year leases. Yeah, like a restaurant will probably do twenty years. Twenty years, yeah. right? And and it's not that there's no increases; it's just all predetermined. Yes, exactly, predetermined. And also, they can also use it in terms of clauses to get the first three months uh, free of rent for them to set up the shop and stuff. Sometimes yeah. uh, you can have the landlord do the construction, yeah. and include that in the rent. In the rent. Um, the other that's the other thing, right? Like um, notices, you have to. Uh, set what the notices are it's yeah. not exactly the same also there's uh tmi taxes maintenance and insurance in a residential lease that's all included right like you don't pay that you just pay your rent in commercial the rent we're talking about is net rent to the landlord tmi is over and above and you have no control over that because taxes are whatever the government charges mm-hmm. uh maintenance is whatever it costs to maintain that's usually set out. You kind of know what that's going to cost you. And insurance could fluctuate year to year based on what the insurance company calls. You know, I mean, it's not like the landlord is going to call up uh, TD and say, well, my uh, tenant isn't going to pay $100 more, so you can't raise it on me this year. Yeah. Right? Like, whatever the insurance is, it is. You're going to pay it. That's just the way it is, and that's what you're agreeing to. So that's how commercial works. Um, it's more detailed than that. I would uh, talk to an expert who's done many deals beyond that. I mean, I know the very basics. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't uh, just go with my word on this one because I haven't done enough to be uh, fully objective here. Um, yeah, so not bad. We're 27 minutes in for our Q&A. That's pretty good. Yeah. So let's see. Do we have any more questions? 
and refresh here, see if anything else came in. Okay, not on Facebook, not on LinkedIn. YouTube is interesting. Okay, nothing on YouTube. Did I have any saved? I didn't check that. It doesn't know we went through that. Okay, yeah, that's pretty much the questions. So, little side jargon. Yeah. Now that we're in elections. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a... So, that's going to be over soon. What, I think 12 days more? No, 11 days. 11 days election. 12 days we're going to know. What do you think is going to happen with America? What's your anticipation? Do you think we're going to go crazy again? <laughs> um, well, we, we went crazy. So I think now I believe it should be more steady because the, the increase that happened in the past year is, is, is not something usual that happens. Right. Yeah. So, so like, I mean, like, uh, it should be, it should be steady. That's my expectation. Like the next few months should be steady. Now it all depends on the supply. If we don't have enough supply, it won't be steady, of course, but if we get more supply, it should kind of balance it out. Yeah. That's kind of what we have a problem with now. Yeah. The main supply. issue is supplier now. Yeah. Um, we have very, it's very been little. For, for a while, not just right now, but <laughs> well, I don't know if you saw the stats already. I mean, I did my episode yesterday on stats. And I went through it. Mm -hmm. August had a short shortage from last year. A 46.8%. Oh, my God. From August 2020. Yeah. Wow. And we were already short supply, which is the whole thing that made us go cuckoo. Yeah. And, and we're even shorter. I think people are just afraid to leave. No. I, I At this point now, no one wants to sell unless they have to sell. Because they'll be like, okay, we sell today and we make lots of money. Where do we go now? Where do we buy? That's the and, common question I get. Yeah. It goes, even if I sell and I collect the money, where do I move? Yeah. Right. And what am I going to pay? So, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting times. Um, I think what's going to determine our market is whether people are back in the office or not. That's also, yeah, has an impact on it, of course. Yeah. Because if we get some form of normalcy, yeah, then people go back to normal pattern. Yeah. If it's, if we're back on lockdown, which I don't think we're going to lockdown, I don't think it'll go that far. Yeah. You never know. I don't know. <laughs> right. Because there's been talk, but. It's one of those things that if you're in lockdown, but if it's like short term, people don't know what to expect. They don't want to make big moves when they're unsure. Right. I guess it depends on the level of certainty and the buyers yeah, and sellers, should I say. Um, immigration will make a difference. So yesterday they announced that the international travelers now are, are welcomed if they're fully vaxxed without quarantining anymore. Um, so, yeah, immigration is, is I think, is, is, is not at the full capacity they were at before pre-covid but but they're more they're like more ex like getting more immigrations every every month now so. yeah and i think once the election is done if they open up the you know if, if it becomes a flood of immigration people moving the demand is going to be higher the shortage is still a shortage the shortage is still going to be there <laughs> yeah i think um I think we might get another round of uh, bids. Maybe not immediately. I yeah. think people are waiting it out to see what happens. Yeah. But if we get a flood of people, I wouldn't be surprised if we start 2022 with the biddings again. Very if it's possible. consistent, then maybe we'll remain at a consistent market, which is what I'm hoping for. Yeah. I, I don't personally like, we don't benefit from bids. Against contrary belief where people think that we're rocking it in with the with the bids. Yeah. That's not true because let's face it. 
if we go into a house, it's it's we list it for eight hundred. It goes for a million dollars. Again, that's the market value. So if we had listed it for a million dollars, we would have got a million dollars. It's not like it's we're that much ahead. But even pretend we're ahead two hundred thousand. So a lot of times, and pretend we're getting two and a half commission. So that's an extra 5K. Sounds great, right? Yeah. Remember, that's not all ours. People don't realize we have expenses. The brokerage takes a piece. Yep. We got all these fees that come out of it. So we're not getting the whole five. Chances are we're going to get 3,500 out of that. Yeah. Sounds like we're 3,500 uh, $3, ahead. Why don't we like that? I'll tell you why. Because now that house has become unaffordable for four other people that we were showing. Yeah, exactly. So what ends up popping is now out of the four, only two can buy. So to get $3,500, we you just lost yeah. two commissions of 10K each because yeah. we'll take the average. So we lost 20K in commissions to make an extra 3,500 on one person. So yeah, no, even uh, like, and people get frustrated and the more frustrated they get, they want to pause and wait, Yeah, which is the worst thing you can do in the market, but you can't blame them. When you're frustrated and you're angry and you don't know what to do, you hold on. You got it. That's just yeah. natural human tendency. Yeah. So that being said, it doesn't work for anybody. Like the reason we're going through all this and housing affordability is a topic at election is because we went through all this. Yeah. And now people are frustrated. So now they're in tune with what the government's going to say, but how they're going to make it more affordable. So so let's see what's, what's going to happen in the next few months. But it's going to be interesting for sure. Definitely, and I also want to talk about the uh, the new construction. Yes, not not condos. I'm talking about like uh, low rise, so freeholds. Um, also, that is not enough uh, supply. So, so like if you go to if you people now they're like, okay, we can't buy a resale because of the bidding wars. Let's go sign up for a builder. You you a lot of people are signed up. The minute they they, they the builders don't release the project like all of it in one shot they release it in, in small phases and uh they, they they announce like okay we're releasing this phase on on a certain date you go on that date within three seconds oh we're fully booked um so i think the, the builders also are putting some pressure by not releasing everything by releasing certain uh, quantities and so people think that the new construction would help i'm i'm finding it even more difficult pre-construction than, than the, the than resale i find that new construction is having the same bids new construction is, is just i agree with you on this yeah. it is it is difficult to even secure new, new construction now yeah. right now now look going to what you're saying with the freehold builders are selling out by the time us realtors come in they've already sold it to friends and family yeah exactly and and, and friends and family get first dibs so yeah, like yeah. it's, and now you hear the latest thing that's happening now? What? There's a couple of things that's coming up. One is they have clauses in there that allow them to raise the price. Yeah, yeah. I, I've, I've noticed that, but I, I kind of didn't want to believe it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what it is? It's to combat yeah. the increase in uh, construction costs. Yeah. Because look, with COVID, wood, I believe wood went up three times the price within one year. Yeah. Now, if they already sold you a unit for five hundred thousand, and their cost was just say three fifty, but now the extra wood's going to cost them an extra sixty thousand, they're down. Yeah, yeah. Right now, you know they want to figure out how how do how do they absorb that? Yeah. Now, construction on average goes up every year, 
I believe it goes up three to three and a half percent a year for them in costs yeah. on average. I believe I read that somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I believe during COVID, it went up 12.2% that one year. That's a big increase. I think even more than 12%. Well, there you go, in right? Certain, so in certain areas. They're trying to compensate and and cover their expenses by doing this. But imagine, you know, like you're signing up for something, you get approved for a million bucks, you bought the house for a million bucks, now they're telling you you need 1.1. And the only real, the only option you have is that if you don't want to pay it, here's your money back. No interest. You don't keep up with inflation. Now you're down inflation, and you don't have the house. And I, I think in some in some uh, situations, you don't get your money back, or you get part of it, or something. I've never heard that one because yeah. if you don't get the unit, and they're the reason you're out, how can they keep your money? Yeah, makes sense. Right. So, but it's still that's that's still not right. It's still not fair. Yeah. Again, it's not fair for them to absorb every cost because they got kicked in the teeth either. Yeah. So, again, this is part of housing affordability. You know, like this is kind of crazy. It's getting crazy that way. It's now the other thing I heard, and I don't know if this is true and it hasn't started yet, but I heard what might be coming up. It, part of housing affordability, again, is where they're going to, the builders have to reserve a certain amount of units for low income. What ends up happening is the people who qualify are going to indirectly through their units contribute to the low income units that have been reserved. So if your condo, as an example, were, was 500,000 mm-hmm. to compensate for the low income earners you know, with the affordability, I, I believe this, is, this was a talk at least, mm-hmm. they'll get theirs for 420 as an example. So that extra 80K will be distributed amongst the others. So your $500,000 condo might be like 510 now. Yeah. Again, this is buzz that I heard. Yeah. I don't know if it's coming or not, but it was something that was discussed. So that's going to impact things as well. That's why it's uh, what we're heading to is, is going to be very interesting. So if you're in the market, <laughs> hurry up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but also it showcases yeah. the importance of choosing the realtor. Yeah. Somebody's going to be able to, you know, understand what's going on, be able to explain it to you and be able to help you find something that'll work for you. Because like you said, anybody could put a sign on a lot. A monkey can do that. Right? That's not the the talent. It's the information and uh, the expertise is what you're really getting. So I want to thank everybody for tuning in. We are going to make this a regular routine. Every two weeks on Thursday at 12 noon, we will have a Q&A for you. Whether you want to know about uh, information about real estate, investing in real estate, entrepreneurship, whatever, if we can answer it, we will answer it for you. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you in two weeks. Thank you.